All right. Hey, everyone. Good to see you, kind of. Welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Uh, sorry for uh, extended delay of a break. I know our schedule's a little bit messed up. I got COVID. Um, we were all busy doing stuff, so we took a small extended break. Um, we're glad to be back with the boys with another episode. As you probably know from the title, uh, we wanted to talk about, and we've got a lot of questions about this, but the process of finding a new church, and I think the problem of a lot of people leaving churches. So we'll get into that. Um, but a lot has happened, and I, we got a lot of questions on one particular topic, so we'll get to that too. But just open up our mailbag. Again, if you have any questions for us, uh, we always start our episodes with the mailbag. You can DM us on Instagram at Off the Pulpit. Uh, a couple questions for us to get through. First and foremost, uh, we'll start light. Any, uh, what, what's your most memorable celebrity run-in and any background to that story? So, Jason, I feel like you're in LA, so I'm sure you have multiple celebrity run-ins, and your brother's celebrity. So, I guess every every time you see him, <laughs> I uh, well, my community group did like a picnic at a park right next to Natalie Portman having a picnic with her family. <laughs> oh, you just like saw her like right there. Yeah. Oh. And I, I was like a creeper. I like, I was like trying to like, like, I don't even know what I, I, I don't remember exactly what I did, but I think I was like kind of like hanging around, like lingering around where her like kids were. I don't know if they were her kids or like her... <laughs> Her like <laughs> nephews or nieces, whatever. But you know, um, yeah. My wife was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're super creepy." Apologies but. to Miss Portman. For, uh, Tom, I might have you guys beat, man. I uh, I remember as a kid, I was on a cruise with my family. I was like in the fourth grade, so I didn't know like who we were taking a picture with, but they saw like a celebrity and. Uh, they took a picture. We took a picture with them, and later on, I found out uh, it was O.J. Simpson that we took a picture <laughs> with. And the person who took the picture was Nicole, his no. wife. No, what? Yeah. Oh, that's and crazy. So, mm-hmm. so I you remember. Still have that I, picture? Yeah, I still the picture, man. Dude, you should submit it for evidence and for in the future. That's crazy. Yes, that's that's uh that's my landmark celebrity <laughs> encounter. Yeah. Okay. I, I think. I think Tom has his beat. I, I saw Tracy McGrady at the airport. That that's and he didn't say hi. So that's basically it. So shout out to T Mac. Um, next question. Oh, great segue. And we're all NBA heads. So one person asked this for all of us individually. Uh, who is your all-time NBA starting five? So your mm. your Mount Rushmore of a starting lineup. So your best five players or your favorite five players. I think that's the best way to put it. Jordan. Magic, Kareem, LeBron. Mm, that last one is a tough one. If you do positions, probably Duncan. You wouldn't say Kobe? If you didn't have to five. put positions? Oh, interesting. I don't think he's top five. Interesting. And I'm a Laker fan. All right. Ooh, man, Jason? Tom, that's a... I'm uh, uh, sacrilegious. I know. Uh, wait, are we talking positions or just... Top we'll five. Just, we'll um we'll just say top five, and it doesn't have to be like it's just your top five, right? Your your personal top. Five. Okay, yeah. So it's not a starting lineup. Yeah, yeah. We'll just say top five. Yeah, I mean, I gotta go Jordan. 
If it's if it's just a top five, I'd probably go Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Um, this is not in any particular order, but Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, Magic, and uh, ooh, no AI, no Philly love, Jason. Man, I love AI. Is but you, you're, you're top five. I wouldn't I wouldn't put him on in the top five. Maybe top top ten, possibly. Okay. Um Yeah, man, that, that fifth one is is tough. I mean what what are you doing? What, where who are you going? I mean there's there's a great guy in the Bay Area. So my my top five is obviously Steph Curry, Jordan, Katie, LeBron, and Shaq. But I'm I'm biased because I, I I didn't watch a lot of the early '90s basketball or '80s, mm. so I don't have Magic and Larry. But that's my top five. That's also a lineup too. I would take that lineup against anyone. Yeah, I mean, I might if if we're going that, I'm I would probably put Shaq up you there. Have to. Yeah, unstoppable. Yeah. So hopefully that helps. Shout out to Steph Curry. Congratulations on your championship. Um, another question. Uh, this is a good question for us. Uh, how do you? Uh, short answer. But how do you lead effective? Bible studies or book clubs as a lay person. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people listening, if you are listening, you probably have a bend to try and be in these type of meetings or even lead these type of meetings. So I guess for all of us, especially for you two as lead pastors, um, what advice would you give to lay people to, to lead an effective Bible study or even a book club or some sort of intimate smaller group? I would say it's harder than people imagine. Hmm. Like they don't prepare you to like lead a book study or Bible study at seminary or so forth and there's an art to that to make it like feel good um i do know like one key thing is having the participants do the work before so like mm. let there be homework i think that's just key so that the, the conversation could be uh where you're sharing your thoughts not like just discovering new information at the moment um i know like uh there's a great book if you're doing bible study it's called one-to-one and it's like pretty much how do you talk about the bible because I think if you just do a straight up like commentary style, it, it tends to be like really challenging. But th- this one makes it very simple and lays out like a very simple way to look at it. But I do think like, like one key is you want conversation. Like you don't want it to be where one person is just teaching and everyone's just like listening. It, it needs to be like a free flowing conversation with also like um, key questions and even like things that you're learning that could help bring insight to the text. So yes. that's to me the key is pre work and also conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with that. I mean, I'd say a book club uh, is probably easier than a Bible study. Um, and I think, you know, kind of, um, especially for a book club, like right now our church is launching a book club month in July where we have, you know, lay leaders, members of our community actually hosting um, different books. And I think you know, um, what, where I will agree with Tom is I think a lot of times you go into it and you just say like, oh, we'll just talk about like, you know, what we read about. Um, but I think going in with clear expectations of what it is, maybe even having some questions. And I think the questions are key, like not like open-ended questions that kind of allow you to, you know, so like, for example, like um, some sample questions that we have for our book clubs are like, you know, even things like what didn't you understand what did you learn what did you agree with you know what did you disagree with what didn't you like um how does what you read connect with some of 
some of the things you've experienced in your own life, you know, kind of going in with um, some questions that that will help spark a conversation, I think is key. So great. No, I, that's good. Um, I think the only thing I would add is, man, it's it's really honestly, these studies are contingent on your group of people. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you just have a group that's like really hard to connect with and you just got to do what you got to do. Other times it's good. So I would say like trying to have people, uh, not everyone, but just have people you can trust and, you know, someone that will break the ice and not be shy about questions and and even leading their own discussion about that. And then outside of that, I think for me, like having a sheet is helpful just as like a safety blanket, if that makes sense. Like if you just go in wanting to talk about a subject, I think you can get lost or people get lost. But if you have like a printed, like, oh, either fill out or just read out i think that's helpful so hopefully that helps with that um a couple more questions Uh, as a parent is it okay if your kids and i'm guessing older kids uh let's just say middle school and older is it okay if your kids don't want to participate in youth group or in church uh so great question because i think that's a lot of uh parents dilemma these days and it always has been in the church but yeah i guess for all of us what are our thoughts on um having children that them, they themselves do not want to attend church on a Sunday. They don't want to attend youth group, or they don't want to attend church. Uh, we'll we'll say youth group, like the. Youth so what, what, what would they What would they do instead? Uh, join the adult worship. Yeah, I guess that's an alternative. Let's just say you have a kid that just doesn't want to go to church. I think okay. that's probably a better question. You know, I was thinking about that recently. And at first, I was like, "Well, maybe you know, you should respect their autonomy. You don't want to be that." that dad who forces Jesus upon your kids and that could like traumatize them and so forth. Um, you don't want them deconstructing their faith later. Uh, but later I started thinking about more. I'm like, wait, but the, the Bible does talk about we're supposed to raise our children in the Lord. And it's almost like, well, at what age does that responsibility end? And, and I realized like, oh, for me, um, there's a lot of things I make my kids do that they don't want to do. But because it's important and it matters, I push them to do it. So whether it be sports or whether it be nutrition or even like school, like if they don't want to go to school, I'm not going to be like, well, that's, you're an autonomous individual and I don't want you to deconstruct education. It's like, no, this is something that is good for you and it's my responsibility. So I tend to lean on that side where I would probably push them to go um, until they're out of the household. Hmm. Once they're out of the household and they're not like, I'm not functioning as their guardian, then it's a little bit different. Um, But I think while they're in the household, I'd probably push them to be honest. Interesting. Jason, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because, you know, my kids aren't at that age yet. Um, but I will say that I do think um, if and when, and it's very likely our kids will will get there and may express that, I do think, um, I'm not sure where I'll land in terms of like whether I force them to go or not, but um, I do think them bringing that up with you is a great opportunity for a conversation around faith. Sure. Cause usually that angst to not want to go to church or, um, you know, not want to go to youth group, it's probably rooted in something. And so I do think it could be a great opportunity for a parent to really connect with their child and walk with them, you know, whether it be something superficial, like it's boring, I don't like it versus you know, or it could be something actually deeper than that. You know, I'm having doubts or, you know, I have these issues with 
how Christianity connects to some of the other stuff I'm wrestling with in life. Mm. Um, whatever it may be, I do think um, it can actually be a good opportunity for parents to to connect with their kids. And one thing I would not take offense to is if they want to go to a different church oh, than the okay. church. Yeah, I think that's okay. Even as yourself as lead pastor, Tom? I mean, it might hurt my ego a little bit, but <laughs> that's, that's, that matters less. Humility is a good, humble answer. Um, yeah, I think for me, there's a part of me that actually would slightly disagree with Tom just in the point of you know, I was raised in a place where like I was forced to go and I was a type where I did not want to go for a while and my parents forced me to go and I look back in hindsight I mean there was a lot of good from that but I have a lot of friends that were in a very similar situation as me I would say a vast majority of them um, have left the faith completely whether that's your parent forcing you to come or not that that's probably another issue but I think more than anything, though, above all, I think what Jason and ultimately Tom's getting at is 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 true that as long as you're having a conversation about why they don't want to come, I think you should just be content with whatever the outcome is because you can't control what they're going to do and, and how they view faith. So I think just having that mindset is helpful, just having dialogue about that. And also, are you is the faith in your family like actually tangible? Uh, because maybe that's why, like, if they don't see that type of faith within the family life, it, there's no also motivation in the house to go to the church. Um, mm-hmm. So even, you know, things like, I know Tom's being on um, family worship, um, things like that, or just even signs of just faith in the household. Maybe that's a lack of that is also adding that too. So I think the only two cents I would add to that. Um, cool. Last two questions. Uh, if the devil is not omnip- omnipotent, why do we talk about him like he's everywhere? Um, how does spiritual warfare actually work? So we could probably do an episode on this. Maybe we will. But any general thoughts on that question uh, for, for this listener? Two brief thoughts. One is I do think this is an untapped area for like modern Christians. The idea of like angels and like demons. It all seems kind of like kooky. Like when is the last time you heard a sermon that actually talked about angels and yet they're like prominent all over the Bible? Mm. Um, I feel like we just kind of shy away from that stuff because it seems too like too supernatural, which is weird because our whole faith is based upon supernatural <laughs> like events taking place. Um, so I do think the idea of like even like the devil, like well, it seems like it's not just the devil, but there there's demonology that's there. So it's not like the devil is um om- is omniscient, but there's there's demons that are present that the Bible seems to argue for. And so that's the idea of like a spiritual presence, both good and bad. Uh, that's kind of the explanation I guess I'd give for the whole omniscient part. And how does spiritual warfare work? Again, I really like uh, what Comer says about the idea of it's primarily not through exorcisms or possessions, but it's through lies. It, it happened first in the garden and it can it happen. You see in, in the temptation of Jesus, it's literally targeting our flesh and having us believe in lies as opposed to truth. And I think that's that tends to be the uh, what I feel like, especially in more like first world countries, that's the main weapon that the evil one tends to use. So lies and the battle for truth, that seems to be the spiritual warfare ground that I tend to be more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up, me and Jason. So we'll, we'll try and have an episode on this because uh, that is a good topic to get into. A last uh, question before we get into one last big question. Uh, is it important to disclose past relationship slash sexual history with a new significant other? Um, if so, when and how should I do so as a Christian? 
Um, great question. Uh, it's something that often probably isn't talked about a lot, uh, practicing the church. But yeah, I guess for you guys, you know, um, when is, especially outside of marriage, like, is there any advice or wisdom you'd give regarding that situation? Don't do it the first date, because that's probably <laughs> too much to handle. But um, I do think at a certain point within a Christian, and we had an episode on dating uh, that also dated our dating history and knowledge, but um, th- we would hope that the purpose of any Christian dating relationship is for marriage. And if that's so, that that needs to be disclosed. Uh, when and how, I'm, again, that's very arbitrary and, and it's kind of how you feel ready. Um, but I do think it's very important, especially by the time you get into close to engagement or even premarital counseling to be um, as honest, no, sorry, completely honest about your sexual history. Because I do think that bleeds into your your sex life into marriage. And oftentimes, from my observation and even counseling, a lot of things are hidden. And because of that, a lot of more deeper problems happen in the marriage. Um, so yes, you should. When and how, again, that's very arbitrary, but uh, I think that's very important for a successful marriage to happen uh, to be able to disclose that. So that's my two cents. Anything to add for you guys? I think I agree that um, definitely like, uh, there should be like no secrets with uh, the person you end up marrying. And I, I think, you know, that honesty and trust is a huge foundational like element to a healthy relationship. I know uh, I'm not, uh, I guess like when you say you have to disclose your sexual history, with the other, I'm 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 not a hundred percent sure. I agree with that in the sense of like I I know that I know couples where they would be open to doing it, but they don't. Sometimes they don't want to know, or like you know. I think when it becomes like something that you again you're hiding um, from the other person. Um, maybe that that's there's probably speaks to a deeper issue. But I, I guess I'm not sure that I would necessarily say you have to disclose it and and then there has to be a point when you have to disclose it. Um, what if they're engaged? I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you think, Tom? I feel like it depends on how safe you feel. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't feel safe, then there's like bigger questions I'd have <laughs> about the relationship. Good point. Good point. Because it, but by revealing it, you're, you're going to be vulnerable, but that leads to intimacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if you if you don't feel safe vulnerably, then you're going to have less intimacy. It doesn't mean you can't be intimate. Um, and I know I know of relationships, it's not as intimate as other relationships are. And they kind of just kind of operate at this more surface level. And that, that that's not necessarily good, but that's kind of what you have to live with. But I also can know, like, you know, hey, like, tell me your sexual history. It's like, well, if the reason that's a pre-screening thing and the person isn't comfortable, then again, that kind of tells, like, well, why isn't it comfortable? And so I do feel like it's up to the person if they feel safe, but the other party should make it a safe environment. And if it doesn't feel a comforting thing, then that means, like, like oh, there's something deeper going on, whether it be it must be really tough, that person's history, and they need more safety, or that other person isn't making it safe for them. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. 
let me caveat. You, you shouldn't force your significant other to disclose this because, uh, to Jason's point, I think if it's traumatic sexual history, you can't just bring that out. I think that's kind of like one of your main concerns, right, Jason? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do agree. But the only thing I would just, I think what, if you get to engagement, kind of to Tom's point, if there's trauma, I'd understand. But it, it, I think for the marriage to be, I, I don't know, slightly successful or have a chance, um, there needs to be some level of trust. Maybe not complete at the beginning, um, but some sort of sharing of that. Because if not, it's just a recipe for, like what Tom mentioned, uh, a lot more darkness and hiding to come in so again we'll, we'll do another episode on purity culture and sex we have that lined up so don't worry so we'll, we'll get into that too um so thanks for all the questions but we did get a lot of questions at least multiple um and probably the most asked this week um obviously if you uh everyone knows the supreme court leaked a decision uh, of the, the majority opinion to overturn roe v wade and that became codified and uh, actual and official decision in the past couple of weeks so we had a lot of questions um, asking our own thoughts on this and this can go in a lot of directions for a couple of things I want to add uh, we were debating on doing an episode on this but I think all three of us agreed to do an episode on this with three male pastoral voices I don't think we can we don't have enough perspective or enough uh just understanding to, to say, oh, we're going to do an episode on this. Um, so maybe in the future, uh, you know, we want to talk about abortion, um, but having female perspectives would be helpful. But I guess just really quickly, especially for you guys, because I know as lead pastors, you have to address this. Um, what are your general pastoral thoughts on the Supreme Court decision? Um, anything you have, anything you could offer to our listeners to, uh, just for some wisdom in this time? At least for me, um, something that I shared with our church was, you know, I admittedly grew up in a um, church culture where this was extremely black and white. You know, um, like if you were Christian, you ha- it, it it you had to be pro life. In fact, we had prayer meetings at our church specifically dedicated to praying for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and so it, it was an interesting feeling um, for that to happen. Um, um, that said, as I've gotten older and as, and as, you know, I think with a lot of things, we've talked about this on this podcast as well. Um, I think, um, part of maturing in faith and some could see this as a, um, like a straying from your faith, whereas I see it as more of a move towards spiritual maturity is to understand that so many things aren't black and white that there, um, there is so much nuance and so much gray um, that often like a lot of the cultural issues that we're wrestling with are so complex and multi-layered, abortion being one of them. And so, I mean, something I encouraged our church was to um, not give into the entrapment of making this a pro-babies versus pro-women issue, because I think that's kind of what it has become. And, you know, I think, like, Twitter makes you sometimes feel like everyone who is pro-life hates women, and then everyone who is pro-choice wants to kill babies, right? And um, I would say that that is, like, such a 
poor dip I and mean, this is what Twitter does and that's what social media does. It kind of like pulls people to the most extreme kind of caricatures of each side. And and I would say that the majority of our congregation, as I talk to them about this, they're just confused and scared and like figuring out how to navigate like all the different complexities of this issue as a follower of Jesus. And, you know, I think like Eugene Cho talked about the loneliness of believing in both the dignity of the unborn and the protection of equality of women. And how can the church like champion that, you know? And, you know, something that I've been lamenting a lot is that the sad reality of the pro-life, pro-choice debate in general is that it has al always placed the sole burden of responsibility and consequence on women. You know, and, you know, the church doesn't have the best history when it comes to accountability for men. And so I guess that I think that makes the makes the issue more complex and and messy to navigate. And, you know, even as a male pastor, there's no way around the fact that like even like me sharing some of my thoughts from the pulpit just comes that in and of itself comes with so much baggage, no matter what I say, you know? And so, um, yeah, all that to say, like, I think with this, just like with everything else we've dealt with on this podcast, whether it be BLM, you know, racial justice, CRT, you know, and now Roe v. Wade, um, I think everyone wants pastors and churches to come out on a specific side um, or a stance, but um, I don't think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I come from a similar background to Jason um, where it seemed like this was a very just straight line issue. But I think when you look at, look at it a little more carefully, it's not as straight line as people make it out to be because there is like a biblical principle and I do think that it's, there's truth to it. You care for the vulnerable, you care for, and that includes women and children. Um, but it's not just the principle, but what about the policy? Like, what is the policy, uh, the legal implications of the policy? What's the precedence? What's this going to lead to? And so it's a lot more jagged that I feel like people make it out to be, both on the left and the right. And I could just tell when I talk to people who are really strong voices on either, either side, it's like, oh, did you, did you ever have a real conversation with the other side? Like, did you ever have like a real genuine uh, uh, engagement where you're hearing what they're saying. And I think when you hear that other side and you understand it, it just gives you a lot more empathy to the complexity of what this this what this what actually does. Um, I think it does mean you don't take a stand on where you, where you are, but I do think uh, I don't like the the way the conversation goes. Um, and I could just tell you, you're, you're just spitting out right wing or left wing uh, talk and you're not you're kind of almost talking more like MSNBC or Fox News than you are the voice of Christ because if you talk about Christ I feel like the way we talk about it would be a little bit different so yeah it's not a straight line as I think either side thinks it is it takes a lot more nuance because life is nuanced and it's complex and so I do feel um, there's a lot more conversations that need to be had rather than just conclusions that we blurt out and state to everybody mm. Yeah, uh, I, th I think that's really helpful from both Tom and Jason. I think the only thing I would add, I think Jackie Hill Perry had a really good post just about how people are expecting and waiting for a post from everyone to 
conclude this is where this person stands. And that's such a flawed way to approach this subject. Um, Twitter is not real life. It's its own chaotic, broken world. And I, it's just a poor representation. It's the fact that that type of the, uh, rhetoric is spilling over into actual reality just kind of shows the situation we're in. So I totally agree uh, both with Tom Jason on that and just, man, like, I don't know if this sounds naive, but on both sides, like, you really think Jesus, if he was in bodily form right now, would be doing what you're doing? To, and I'm talking about the extremes. So, you know, some pastors, and we talked about this, like, they'll show graphic images of abortions and be like, is this what you want to do? And I'm always like, you really think if Jesus was alive, he'd be like, yeah, that's great job, disciple. And on the flip side, it's just like, again, this very extreme case, but some screaming, like, you know, shout your abortion or have pride in it. And I know some Christians would even, you know, silent that. I, I don't know if Jesus would be there too. And I really think kind of to embody what Jason Thomas is saying, I, I really think Jesus would be with people and not just posting and accusing and back talking about people about, oh, is he pro-choice? Is he pro-life? Is he whatever. Um, but just having conversations and trying to get to why are they pro-life? Why are they pro-choice? So that's the only thing I would add to that. And, and, and I guess to add to that, um, you know, one, one of the things I think we should regularly be doing is kind of self-examining ourselves and asking, you know, asking the question of whether or not whatever we're screaming from the rooftops, um, whether or not we're applying that to our everyday lives, whether or not like our politics, like if if you are, um, you know, you are you care about the unborn, like how are you, how are you showing up for children and the unborn on a daily basis? If you say you care about women and the protection and equality of women and women's rights, how are you showing up for women on a daily basis? And kind of as Eugene said, I I think so much of how we talk about these issues are from a distance and we're not tethering ourselves to actual people. Um, because I think if we do, um, it completely will change our perspective. It changes our posture. It changes the way we talk about these kinds of things. Um, it, it, it opens our eyes to the fact that every person has a different story. You know, it, we, we stop like, allowing one one story to be the sole litmus test for our entire perspective. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I see actually this, you know, kind of um, this decision as an invitation for the church to really self-examine ourselves, um, but also to begin to forge relationships um, with those that Jesus, whom Jesus cared about as well, children and women. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to conclude it. Again, uh, we could probably have a whole episode on this, but knowing our perspectives as, you know, male pastors, uh, we don't want that to be the case. So, um, you know, hopefully in the future we can invite uh, someone outside of a male perspective on that. But with that, um, shifting gears uh, completely, but kind of related, uh, we really want to talk about, and we had a lot of questions about this throughout our podcast. Um, but people leaving and finding a church. Um, I'm really interested, especially as Jason and Tom are now leads. It's very different the perspective of that, of, of their own opinions on that too. But we just really want to talk about how should you leave a church and how should you find a church? And how are the 
the wrong ways in between all of that stuff, right? Um, but the first question I want to ask both of you guys is, um, what do you feel like currently are the main reasons you observed um, of people leaving your congregations? So I guess to start with leaving the church, like what what do you feel like as pastors are the main reasons you see people wanting to leave your church or a church uh, in particular? I think the rare one, but the one that gets emphasized the most in like books and like talks is like doctrinal issues. Like if the church is preaching crazy stuff or things that are different than your beliefs, then you should leave. And again, there, there are situations like that. And mm. uh, when that happens, like, yeah, that's obviously like legitimate. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's like pretty rare for someone to leave for those reasons. Yeah. I know like a bigger percentage are like circumstances, like whether they're like moving or job situations or so forth. Um, but I feel like the one I see the most, it's uh, uh, one is like more like fit. Like, hey, like I have a family and there's no other families here. Mm. And so there's like that fit that's kind of off. Like the, the life stage of the church is a different life stage than where I'm at personally. And so that's something that's there. Um, and then like the biggest one by far is like community. Like, do I feel like I have community here? Do I feel like I belong? Do I have a place to belong? And that tends to be the number one reason by far of why people change churches is because they feel like maybe there's another place for them in a different church setting. Yeah, I, I'd say definitely community. But actually over the past maybe t two to three years, I feel like ideology like political ideology or not perceived doctrine. yeah maybe not doctrine but perceived political ideology has been sure. huge you know i know a lot of people who left churches over you know masks vaccines you know uh the election the 2020 election um how churches landed or you know what churches expressed with regard to george floyd and racial justice um, I imagine the same to be will be true of Roe v. Wade as well, you know. And so I've seen that way more in the past few years than I ever remember seeing in previous years. Um, mm. But 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 I think community as kind of like a one that has been there from the beginning, I think is is big. So are those the the ones you described? Community fit and political ideology, are those good reasons or even biblical reasons to leave a church? And I should have caveat this in the beginning. This isn't, this isn't an attack on any particular church members that are, we're all pastors. So we're not trying to, we're not singling anyone out. Okay. So I hope that's, or I, I hope we're not, but given that uh, precaution, do you feel like those three, which I feel like summed up and I agree, those are valid reasons to leave the church biblically. Well, it's hard to say like biblically because it's kind of a, a modern phenomenon for that to happen because pre-Reformation, you were born into the church and there was only like one church in town, Yeah, you know? So if you left the church, you don't go to another church that's a, a clone of your church or even a different ideology of your church. You just don't go to church. You enter the atheistic sea of the world. And so the fact that you can actually choose churches, that's kind of more of a cultural thing. And yeah. so to say, is it biblical to leave the church for those reasons? That's not even like a category that was there back then. So I think it's hard to pinpoint, like, is this a biblical thing going on? Because that wasn't even an option back in the day. Sure. Jason, anything to add? And I mean, to go back to even what I said, um, 
over the past few years, I think as more and more churches have an online presence, and especially during the pandemic when so many churches went virtual, I think it just opened the door for people to like low-key check out so many churches that they felt guilty checking out before, you know? <laughs> like they wouldn't maybe go in person, but now they could kind of stream like six or seven different church live stream services um, on a Sunday. And so I think opportunities and choice, you know, I mean, I think we talked about this even in our online dating um, episode, but just like, there's just so much more opportunity and choice now that makes church hopping extremely easy, I think. Yeah. There's a great book on this called The Analog Church, which kind of um, talks about this whole issue, right? Uh, and I was setting up that question. Basically, there's a phenomenon that you can choose a church. And like to Tom's point, back in, you know, in the, in the New Testament days, like your pastor or your leader of the church was ultimately like your parents. You couldn't really pick and choose. Like it was just whether you had a good preacher or you had a bad preacher and that was it and you had to deal with it. I guess for us to kind of start that question because it is a weird phenomenon that we live in that we can choose churches so while we stay on the idea of leaving a church like i guess for you guys like what do you feel like maybe let's step away from the biblical question because that's kind of like you set that up well already what are healthy reasons to leave a church generally and what do you feel like are unhealthy reasons that you've seen uh maybe we can just let's just start with what are the unhealthy reasons that you have seen Given this phenomenon that you can choose a church, um, what are the unhealthy reasons you've seen leaving a church that often set you up for failure and even trying to find a church? So I think there are toxic churches and it's toxic because of like, you know, the leader is abusive or the culture is just like messed up. Um, they don't take discipleship seriously, which, you know, what does that mean? That's kind of eye of the beholder, but there are toxic situations where you're just not going to thrive spiritually in this context. And there's some people who like, they stay till the Mm -hmm. last person leaves. And it's like, man, maybe you should have left like a little bit back because you're just dying in your soul and your relationship with Jesus. It's, it's more important than you being loyal. Um, So there is that situation. Although I do think that's minor. I do feel what's interesting is um, when you find yourself struggling at a church, it's kind of like a relationship. That's the moment that potentially you can grow and there's things being revealed. So for example, if you struggle finding community at your particular church, well, why? Like, why Why is that happening? Like, why does that always happen? And if you're hopping from church to church, then you're kind of putting a superficial band-aid over this, maybe something that is glaringly uh, a struggle that's being kind of unveiled. And so not to say you should never leave if you can't find a community, um, but I do think oftentimes the moment you feel like leaving are often the moments that maybe something deeper is being revealed. And just like a relationship, if you if you kind of abort and eject at that moment, you're not really growing But versus we just stay. Um, and doesn't mean if you stay, it's going to guarantee growth. But those tend to be, I feel, like key moments for people to potentially grow. So apart from those toxic situations, uh, I do feel like, generally speaking, it's healthier to try to like sort to try to like man it out and stick around and see what God does. And to that point, and we'll talk about when it is probably the right time to leave. But I think to Tom's point, 
especially people who I would say over 80% that leave a church is it's due to the quote unquote community, whatever that means for you. And we, what usually happens when you feel like you don't have community, it's because you see other people that have great community, that it came easy for them. And again, we made a distinction. That's not community. They just found really good friends at that church and good for them, you know, and, and it's not, that's not a bad thing. I hope people do find friends at any church they're at. But I hope one thing people would remember, and I kind of preached about this this past Sunday too, or this Sunday, but when you see those people having easy friendships and like just kind of, oh my gosh, it almost seemed like they just kind of slid in and within week three, they're like plugged into the life of the church. They're not experiencing the full life of the church, maybe as you are disconnected. Because if you look at the New Testament and, and especially what, Paul and, and John in his in his letters write about the church. The church is called to be a place where like if if the epistles are forcing you to say, dude, you gotta love your church member, the whole point of church is being at a place where it is stretching you and it is growing you. And oftentimes to me I think, man, growth doesn't come from comfort. It comes from being at a place stretched. Like you don't know what holds you together until you're being stretched apart. And I know that sounds easy to say, um, but even for me, I had to come up to the Bay Area. Like, at True North, I'm going to be honest, like, it's very different from my church situation, which is Tom and I's both old church, where a lot of my friends were there from the beginning, and I had a good community. And I would say in the Bay Area, it's very different. But one thing I know for sure, me and my wife, I've both kind of talked about, is it stretched us and growed us in ways that for sure, if I was in Southern California, I might not have had on an emotional and personal level. So I always tell people like, dude, if you want to leave church for community, you're missing the whole point because <laughs> a community is a place. Again, community is very different from friendships. I, I hope we made that clear in our previous episodes, but community is a place where you're stretched, where you're with people that aren't like you and you find your common denominator often only in, hey, we share the bloodline of Christ. Um, so I hope that helps that like you understand like, dude, maybe you not finding community is exactly where God wants you to be so you can grow. So, um, yeah. Jason, anything to add to that too? Uh, unhealthy reasons leaving the church? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I don't think blanket statements like I don't like the preaching or I don't like the music um, are necessarily good reasons to leave a church. Um, I think they probably speak to a misguided view of what the church even is. And, you know, we talk about it a lot on the pod where church has kind of become a vendor of religious goods and services. Sure. And so it makes, you know, if you view church like that and it doesn't give you exactly what you want and the kind of speaker that you want and the kind of music that you want, you know, then it's, it's very easy to say, I'm going to go find my goods and services at another church, you know? And I think, you know, there, there's something broken about that view of church to begin with. And you're always going to be left wanting more because no church is going to be able to give you everything you want. You know, it's a very consumeristic, you know, way to think about church. And so, yeah, I mean, like, it's very rare. Like, you know, it's very rare that's when someone says, like, I don't like the preaching I'd say more often than not, maybe like 5% of the time, it's actually like a legitimate gripe with like, you know, that 
oh, they're not preaching the gospel or they're saying something heretical, like 95% of the time it's like, oh, it's a little too boring for me or, you know, it doesn't sound like the person I listen to on the pot on my, you know, podcast on my drives to work, you know? Um, and so, yeah. yeah. But don't you get, do you guys experience it? Like where, like there's two, there's two dilemmas that people go through that no matter what you say, they will not listen. Number one is, should I date this person? And no matter what, they're going to date them. And number two, Hey, I'm thinking of leaving the church. Like no matter what you say, they're probably going to leave. Like it's, there's like the two like questions. They already came to their conclusions and it's hard to sway elsewhere because they feel like, Oh, I should leave. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And wouldn't you also agree though? And again, this isn't calling out anyone in, individually, but those people that say like, I want to leave, there's usually a track record of that. And it's always just like, dude, there's a belief that the next church will have exactly what you want. And it's always like, it's just never ending that because you realize like, maybe you, I, you post this comment, but it's kind of related, but not. Like, if you think one person is an a-hole, like, they might be an a-hole. But if you think everyone's an a-hole, like, you're probably the a-hole. It's very, very extreme. If you think one church sucks, maybe. If you think every church you've been through sucks, like... Then you suck. <laughs> like, something's just not right there, you know? And there's something... and, all, and But in all seriousness, there's something unhealthy going on of, like, you trying to find a church that fits everything. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's just... But I, I find it more so from the... I haven't had these conversations recently, but people aren't honest with why they're leaving. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh. Yeah, there's, it's like when you ask them, like, so, for example, like, why are you leaving? I, I can't find community here. Oh, okay, so that means, like, when I hear that, like, oh, you really tried, but no one's, like, connecting with you. But sometimes when I talk to them, it's like, oh, so I've been going to community group? Oh, no. Oh, I've been tra- trying to talk to people after church and I just bounce it afterwards. Yeah. Of course, you're not going to find community. So it's not like you can't find it. It's you're not, you don't want to try or it's hard for you to try. And there might be reasons why it's hard, but I think it's, it's almost more understandable to say, oh, there's no community here for me that I try to find because mm-hmm. that's a more acceptable uh, reason to leave. And so I think oftentimes we're not as honest about why we're leaving than we would like to think we are. Would you want them to be honest though? I think it helps you deal with like what the issue is because you're just running into the same problem somewhere else. Because so let's say the real reason is actually I didn't try. Yeah. Um, then the next church you go to, like, like oh, it's it's going to be the same thing unless you try. Yeah. And take advantage of the opportunities that are there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a good point, and it kind of goes back to like it's almost there's a shame to even admit that that like for sure. Yeah. Like I'm not trying, and maybe there's a reason why you're not trying too. Yeah. So completely mm-hmm. understandable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess with that for time's sake to kind of shift, we can talk about this a lot. And I hope you get the message. Like, if you want to leave the church, just like, just look at the mirror for just a second, right? That's all we're saying. But but with that, are there any situations for all of us that you would agree there is a legitimate reason to leave that church? Uh, Tom already alluded to like kind of toxic culture. I guess you can kind of dive into that more. But any other reasons or that reason in particular? Like, what are some reasons if if just you're at a retreat? Someone comes to you and like they say this, you'd be like, oh, you should leave immediately. Like, what are those reasons you feel like are legitimate to leave a church uh, that are justified? You know, my view shifted on that a lot, where if someone came up to me saying, hey, I'm thinking of leaving the church. And unless it's something like that's, you know, like really like they point out toxic stuff that I'll pay attention to. But if it's like, you know, kind of those broad general reasons, I feel like what I'll tell them is like, oh, yeah, like you should. I have a couple of churches you should check out. Cause I'm like really confident unless your church is toxic, like you're not going to find that 
better of a church <laughs> for you mm. uh, out there. And so to me, I think it's almost like a journey that they have to go on. And some people need to go on that journey. And whatever church they land on, it's actually not going to be that objectively different than the church they're leaving. But they might be different. Like they might be evolving and changing. And so I, I actually don't really dissuade people who are considering leaving like, oh, no, you got to stay. Like to me, it's like, oh, no, if you need to go through that journey, then go through it. But what most likely is going to happen is you're not going to find anything that different unless you come from a very toxic situation. Mm. Mm. So it's almost like you want to let them learn on their own way about it. It's like when someone says like, oh, this person is a bad mate or bad wife or husband and I want to leave. It's like everyone's bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> Find your new dysfunction. <laughs> like, Go ahead. It's a different dysfunction that you're going to deal with. It's just life. And I think you hear that talk more so I think from like younger folks. Mm. Um, but I feel like but I don't really see that as often from older folks. I think older folks, they're either tired and they don't want to leave or they just kind of know like, yeah, I've done my run and they're all, there's a, there's categories now of churches. There's not like particular churches. There's categories of health and this is the spot that I want to land in now. Mm. Well, that's helpful. Jason, I guess for you, like any legitimate reasons to leave a church that you would advise a church member to do so? I mean, biggest one for sure is like a toxic culture um, and like an abusive culture. And we've seen a lot of that in recent years, um, you know, where there is like unchecked pastoral authority, um, you know, where, yeah, like, you know, it, I mean, this borderline cult stuff there. Um, I would also say another one, especially in recent years, I know I, I mentioned before that we've seen like kind of perceived political ide ideology as being a big reason why people have left churches. Sure. I would say like a legitimate reason, in my opinion, to leave a church or at least consider leaving is when a church has like visibly and openly placed their political ideology above the gospel. Um, and I see this honestly, like, you know, we talked about this in our episode on like white evangelicalism. You know, I think Christian nationalism is a, one of the hugest threats to the church. You know, like I, just today, I, I, I literally watched a video of a church singing a hymn written by one of their congregation members called make america great again that's awesome you know and i mean i think at that point you know i would definitely say you probably need to leave yeah i i agree i think political hey, ideology if you sing a song about make america great again <laughs> should probably leave <laughs> <laughs> it also probably means you're in texas so just like <laughs> but yeah but that you know we have listeners all over so make sure especially if it's an asian church that's like singing that song it's like whoa that's that's get out part two so you, you should yeah you should get out of there um yeah no i agree with jason's point i also agree with tom's that i think leaving is also helpful in in a way of like hey if you want to find something good luck and, and see what you find um yeah, I, I, some people might say like heresy, and that that's a legitimate cause. But these days, like, if it's a radical church, like the the network of churches, especially in our area, will already kind of point that out. So you know, if you say heresy, like maybe, but you know, make it make it legit. Um, and on on heresy, I think like we 
especially these days, I find that people call heresy things that I would not consider primary yes. issues, yes, but secondary what, what are, what and tertiary are some examples, issues. Jason, um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, as Jason thinks about that, I do think it, it, like your view of heresy. It depends on your context. Oftentimes, hmm. like I just preached about this today about like you know wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, and I heard someone say this, which was so true. Like the sheep's clothing mean they're hard to find. You don't recognize them, and oftentimes the sheep's clothing is because they are uh, they are putting on an ideology that your context idolizes. So you're hmm. blind to that heresy. So no no QAnon heretical speaker will fool like an African-American church, you know, like that's not, they're not going to be like, Oh, is that a wolf? Like they're going to know, but where are they most likely going to be accepted in? It's like sure. in a white nationalist church. Sure, sure. And so the sheep's clothing, it changes in the context that's there. And oftentimes when we point out heresies, like, well, what do we mean by that? Mm. And heresies, I think from my context, it's oftentimes like, Oh, it's like the liberals and so forth. But the main, the main heretical teachers that Jesus rebukes in the new Testament, they're all conservatives. And so there's like, but we have no category for conservative heretics. And so I think we're kind of blinded to what we point as heresies. And oftentimes when we think about it, the heresies that are supposedly there, uh, apart from like the primary issues, they tend to be these like secondary issues that we just label as heretical. Yeah. Yes. And to J Jason, I think the question I asked is, it was a leading question, but often the heresies are political, off, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. deep down inside. Yep. But it's very much like, Oh, you didn't give a statement on pro-life. That's heretical, right? I know some churches, and we've talked about this. Oh, you allowed a woman to preach. Like, that's heretical. I mean, that was a case. Like, Jason would not be on this podcast with uh, Tom and myself. So, yeah, I, I really think, you know, when you, when you say heresy, just understand the weight of that. Um, and it is for different for every person, but, like, so often we make it a secondary issue. But if they baptize babies, you should probably leave. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not healthy. Shots fired. <laughs> it's okay. The SBC has their own problems. Don't, 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 don't worry, Jason. <laughs> every dysfunction um, is different in every area. The dysfunction. Yeah, I don't this. A lot. Anyways, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but yeah, so, you know, shifting gears to, to the last section. I know there's some people, though, uh, that are listening that, look, maybe they moved to a new area. Maybe they had a legit reason for leaving, and now they're looking for a new church. So I guess for you guys, what are some main indicators to look for uh, when looking for a new church? Uh, like, what are some things you should note? What are some things you should observe? What are some things you should keep in mind as a visitor to decide for myself, for my family, is this a church for me and my family? Well, I would say, and it's it's hard, you know, sometimes this is hard to discern, but I would, you know, I think a lot of times when we go visit a new church, our first questions are always around doctrine and positions and stances, you know, and I, I, I say this from personal experience when people come to Citizens, like, and they want to learn about what the church is about, often they want to know what you believe about X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that's kind of... And I'm not saying doctrine isn't important, but um, what I found is um, even more important is the culture of the church. You know, what are what is the church? What are the church's values? How are those values embodied in the leaders and the staff? How is that? You know, what from what you observe? You know, how is yeah? How are those values embodied in the staff culture? Um, you know, what is what kind of a 
you know, what kind of a character um, do the leaders um, uphold and, and portray? And I, I, again, I think that's hard because sometimes a lot of what happens is hidden, but I don't think we ask that question enough, you know? And um, yeah, I, I, I always encourage people, you know, which is why like, I, I feel extremely comfortable um, having our church members go to churches where I know for a fact that those churches kind of disagree on certain doctrinal, what I would consider maybe secondary, tertiary doctrinal things, if I really trust the pastors there or the staff there. Yeah. You know, I would have like very little qualms about having someone from our church go check out that church, you know, if they're moving to another city, you know. Yeah, I feel like the beliefs and statements and stances of the churches, those are almost, if you look at it in relational terms, they're like the values of another person. Like there's like baseline values. And obviously if like you have like, hey, I really value family and the other person's like, well, I don't, then it's like, are you really going to be able to get married? Because your family is really important to you. So the baseline values are kind of like the statement of faith and where they believe. But just because I meet somebody who has this exact same values as me, that doesn't mean I'm going to date them. <laughs> like there's so much more to be in a relationship. And I kind of agree, kind of touching upon what Jason is saying. I think um, this is where the whole idea of fit, I think matters. Like the, does it does it fit? So for example, if I'm, if I'm looking for a church and I have a family of three, but I go to a church and they are doctrinally aligned with everything, their mission is aligned with everything, but everybody's like in their early 20s. It's, it's just going to not be a good fit. And again, it doesn't mean you don't go to that church, but now you have to deal with the reality of, well, your kids aren't going to have any peers. You're going to be the only married person there. Can you handle that? And if you believe in this church enough, like, oh, go, sure, go for it. But I think fit, it, it is actually a lot more important than we realize. And before you make that commitment, just like you would in a relationship, um, you have to be realistic of what you could handle in the context that you're in. Mm. Yeah. To add on to that, never believe a church's website. Like it's, um, dude. Yeah. Like never believe their Instagram. Yeah. I, I, I remember seeing Instagram where like the lead pastor had just resigned the founding pastor and like the Instagram's all about like, we'll see you Sunday. And like God's <laughs> doing big things. And it's like, dude, your church is going through some crazy stuff, man. Exactly. And so, exactly. Yeah. Don't believe that stuff. It's, the social media is just, it's the PR arm of the church. So you cannot like every freaking statement of belief will be the same. The missions and values, like they're going to say, this is our mission and value. But more importantly is like, where is the church culturally headed? Like, where is it trying to go to? Because they can say all this stuff, like, oh, we are missional or gospel center, whatever it might be, but the culture is so different. And, you know, you know, like, once you're there long enough, and if you don't, that's probably a bigger issue because that, that means a, another thing. Like, maybe they're not moving in a direction, right? But I really think don't ever trust anything written down. Like, if, if that's not there, that's, that's like, that's the first test any church should pass. Given that, I think, you know, as Jason mentioned, culture, like, don't trust the lead pastor himself or herself. I don't know. Wherever you, wherever you're at. That's not relevant uh, for Jason. But. <laughs> Jason, a good chunk of our listeners are here for Jason. So I'm trying to, trying to help, help everyone out, right? Um, whoever the lead pastor is, don't trust them. Trust the leaders and, and associates around them because they really show you is the lead healthy or toxic. The most toxic lead pastors are great speakers. The most toxic lead pastors are very energetic, passionate people. The most toxic lead pastors 
they'll have you over and be like, this was amazing. Visit the associates, visit the leaders, visit the staff members. Um, they'll be able to kind of tell you, is this church a Mark Driscoll-esque church or actually like a, a plurality of culture and leadership? Another big indicator, if it's the lead pastor preaching 90% of the sermons on Sunday, don't go there. Um, one, preaching's going to suck because like it's just, I, I really believe in plurality of preachers. But usually, sorry, I should say generally, you know, if there's just one lead pastor, I understand. But if there's a team and only one lead pastor is like over 90% of the preaching, that's a big yellow orange flag for me because uh i you know power comes in the pulpit and they're scared to let that go that just kind of triggers me because that's the only thing i would add to you again that's a very general statement so don't take it you know as law but or yeah. if it's like the third associate pastor in three years something <laughs> is wrong <laughs> like on, on like christmas sunday it's like wait wait a second you know like something's wrong man summer so yeah keep that in mind um with that uh, I want to end with a couple of just very practical but very realistic questions. Just I have three of them. And if you if you guys think of any more, ask two. Um, one, I love the community here, but I do not, absolutely do not feel fed by the preaching. This preacher is not bad. Preacher is not heretical. But I have not felt spiritually nourished for over a year. Should I leave this church or should I gut it out and stay? What, what are your thoughts on that hypothetical situation? probably leave <laughs> over a year that's a long time <laughs> so in your oh, opinion tom right like there's enough where like if you just don't feel fed by the preaching that's that like uh, that's not good for your soul i guess i'd be curious like why they don't feel fed is it the preaching or is it you but you know if you're like over a year i have not felt fed it's like, oh, like if someone told me that, I'm like, you should probably like leave. Like if someone told you that time, you'd be like, at your church, you'd be like, you should, you should leave. I'd probably just apologize. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I, I did a disservice to your soul in that way. I'd want to know like why I couldn't feed you. Cause you know, as the, as the head chef of the church, like the fact that you're starving, there must be something wrong with the cooking that I'm doing for you. So I'd be really curious. And, but let's say all the curiosity marks, uh, check marks are, are passed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I understand if you left. Mm. Again, this is why a plurality of preachers are great. Because that's true. Yeah. Because one person's cup of tea may not be, you know, someone else could serve you a dish that's more suited to your palate. Yeah. And I think all three three of our churches do that. So, man, I'd be surprised you didn't grow if they're preaching from the Bible for a whole year. That's wild, man. So you would maybe consider it's more them than the preacher. If they're preaching from the Bible. Okay. Now, if they're like talking about the Bible, but they're doing their own like, you know, spins, then obviously like that's a different story. But if it's yeah, like yeah. they're preaching faithfully from the Bible, then you might be looking for something that the church is not meant to provide. Like if someone said that to me, like I would immediately be like, oh, you should definitely leave. Because <laughs> I would just feel so bad, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. But But I think... Yeah, like if it, it, you know, it depends. Like, you know, it, if there are others at the church, though, that are being actually fed mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the preaching, I think that's, you know, in some sense, it's one of those things where, like, it could easily be that person, you know, sure. as well. Sure. Um, and I've definitely seen that where one person will say that, but like all the, the same exact sermons, all these people are getting so much yeah. out of it. You know, it's, and it's to Tom's point. You just don't like that pastor. Just keep it real, and like that's fine. Just be honest, man. Yeah, just, just be totally yeah. fine. He, did, he he didn't pass you the ball during a pickup <laughs> game. Like, 
Let's be honest, dude. Oh, getting too real. Uh, some other questions. Um, we recently got married, um, and we both go to different churches. Uh, which church should we attend as a new married couple? Uh, we there's this happens all the time for all three of our churches. So I guess any general piece of advice for for that situation. Well, I, I think people it, oh. they want to they, sorry Jason they, they oh. want to leave because they want to start something new together, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to go to each other's home court. That's usually the reason why married couples think that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say like my story is kind of interesting because um, with with Carol and with me and Carol when we got married, um, you know, she moved from New York to Philly, um, to to because we were gonna settle down in Philadelphia, and I was. You know, she kind of like for those three months before marriage, after she moved back, she kind of started attending her home church, which which was like a smaller family church. Um, she wasn't involved in that church at all. Um, whereas like I had already been served. I was the worship leader of a church in, in Philly. It was kind of like a, a citizens, you know, a city church. And I think the general thought was that a hundred percent once we got married carol would come to our church to my church <clears throat> not because like of you know she had to follow the man or anything it was just because like i was already so plugged into this community sure. whereas she wasn't really plugged into her community and i would say i had i talked to maybe it was a big decision for us um and i talked to maybe four different mentors three out of the four were like, you know, honestly, I think she should just come to your church. You know, it makes the most sense. Um, but I had one of those mentors be like, that's, this is the easiest, like if it's actually a point of contention and there is a part of Carol that wants to, and what happened was in those three months that she came down to Philly, even in those three months, especially the women of that church really embraced her and she did find like community there. And my, that one out of one mentor was like, Jason, this is the easiest decision for you. Like if you want to truly model like a Christ-like sacrificial heart and you want to kind of um, start your marriage off on the right foot, he was like, to me, it's a no brainer. You should go to, carol's church and that's that and for some reason that like resonated with me and i did i ended up you know going to her church um understanding that like she had left a lot in new york her community her church in new york to move to philly to to be married and so like you know i'm not saying that this is like the formula for everyone but for me that really resonated with me and got plugged in there. The crazy thing is I met some of like life, my, like the closest friends of my life, um, at that church. Um, we started serving together. It was great. And, and then nine, literally nine months later, we got the call, um, for an opportunity to be the worship director at a church in Los Angeles that would now force both of us to uproot our lives in Philly for Carol now to leave all her friends and family, her community, the only home she's ever known to move to LA with me. And when we were making that decision, 
like I felt called to go and Carol said, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. And she cited, she's like, it's, it's because of that decision you made at the beginning of our marriage that gave me the assurance that I'm not just going to be like following you around our entire marriage that like, this is a give and take. And what's crazy is like her sacrifice was like a million times bigger than the sacrifice I made. Cause she actually like was leaving Philadelphia and, and coming to LA. And so mm. all that to say, you know, a lot of what we talked about in premarital counseling really came into play here. You know, what does it look like to lay down my life? You know, and, and I don't want to make like choosing churches, like an issue of laying down your life, but you know, I think, when it comes to marriage, sometimes those decisions do define a marriage, mm. you know, so. You're a good man, Jason. Oh, oh man. My wife just came to my church. <laughs> <laughs> so now I feel bad. Yeah. But Jason's moral story is sacrifice a little so your spouse will sacrifice more. So. That's true. That, it, was, it was really for you, Jason. You, knew, you played the long game. You played the long game, bro. Well, the end, it was selfish. Uh, no, 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 no. I think that's, that's, that's good. Just, yeah, no, I think that's good. Determine who has to sacrifice the most. I think that's a really good um, indicator for which which moves should be made. I also think, to Tom's point, finding a new church altogether is a great option too, because that that sets the playing table, uh, playing field level for all. So, and and I don't know if this is the case with your marriages, but I find that you know, um, and I'm sure that we can do an entire podcast episode on marriage, but I find that like a lot of times with sacrifice, everyone thinks it's always like 50-50 on everything. Yeah. But from my experience, it's always been like, there are seasons when like one person is definitely sacrificing more and then other seasons when, you know, the other person is sacrificing more, you know, and it is like that general posture of understanding that like, this is what marriage is, you know? Totally agree to that. So hope that's helpful. Uh, last question and very quick responses. And we talked about this, but I want to give practical advice because I think a lot of listeners will have this. Um, I've tried getting plugged into my church, but I just do not feel community being formed anywhere. Um, what should I do in the situation? So we already talked about this, but I guess getting very practical. If someone is at your church and like, look, I just can't find community. I kind of want to leave. Um, but let's say they don't want to leave, but it's like, I just can't find community. What are some advices you would give uh, to that person? And we'll end with this question. How old are they? Uh, we'll, we'll do two scenarios. We'll do uh, like kind of like a mid 20 single and then uh, early married couple with kids. So either or you can pick. Generally speaking, I think if they're in their 20s uh, and they can't find community and let's say they, they explored all the channels for community at our church, like community groups and so forth, but they still can't feel it. I'd be like, dude, brother, you should maybe find another church. And I think they might be successful in finding a community in a different church. I think when you get older, it's a lot harder. Uh, you just you just don't have the capacity to form new relationships the way you would hope you can. And I think when you go to a new setting, it's even harder to find a, a community that's there for you. Because again, you don't have capacity. The friendship circles are all kind of closed already. And so it kind of depends on the age. Because uh, the, So if they're older, I'd almost say, like, I think you're going to have even a harder time at a different church, to be honest. But you know, obviously, it's fair game for what you choose to do. Um, but I think that's just the reality. I think we it's not just the churches that make it hard, but it's your life stage that makes it hard. And I think we kind of don't consider that as we've explored different churches. No. Yeah, oh, man, community, that word is just, it's so triggering because it just <laughs> carries with it so much baggage. Yeah. Um, 
Because, I mean, we talked about it a lot. I think a lot of times when people say, I can't find community here, it's a lot of times they can't find friends, yes. right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with Tom when it comes to the married couple, like young married couple with kids. You're just like in in the desert, like in the wilderness during that season, you know, to begin with. And that just... Yeah, it is. It's going to be just hard to find community um, during that time. Um, I will say that for a young, like, you know, 20 single. I don't know. I would I would say. After exploring kind of like maybe the avenues that the church offers. You know, if the church. Yeah kind of like supports stuff like this um taking the initiative to again build like have you actually explored all the ways that you yourself can cultivate and build community like within the church you know um and again sometimes like when churches are extremely top down that's very difficult to do but i mean i can like even from like our church experience like sometimes like the community group system at our church, courses, book clubs, they don't, for some reason, for certain people, it doesn't resonate. Um, but we've had people like start like informal, you know, like, like happy hour gatherings where they'll just get like, ask random people, you know, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of risk, but they'll ask random people, hey, like, you know, we're going to go to happy hour, like at a local bar, you know, Wednesday night why don't you join us? And some of those groups have been meeting like regularly, you know, now for months, you know? And so I don't know. I think I would still maybe before they make the move, like really encourage them and, you know, have a conversation around like whether or not they really have kind of exhausted all the opportunities to build community on their own. But I will say this, uh, one thing that's underrated is when you talk to your pastor about leaving, no matter your reason, it is always super painful for the pastor. Mm. It is always painful. And I think uh, the, the pastor won't show it um, because you know they want to do what's best for you. But if they care about you, it's always going to be a painful subject. Like Again, it doesn't matter if it's the best reason in the world. Like You got a new job in New York. It's just painful to lose somebody. Um, and you know you have like the mega church pastors go. Well, we're all part of the same kingdom. Well, because yeah, thirty thousand people that you don't even know. So if they leave, it's like all good. But when you're like a family and you're praying for individuals and you're relating with them and you share life with them, it's always really painful. So I do think um, talking to your pastor about leaving, uh, tread with a very sensitive heart because I do think uh, you don't want to take it personally as a pastor. And you know sometimes pastors take it too personally when it's not about you. Uh, but no matter what, it's always like a painful moment, I think, to lose somebody in the church. And also, like, let, let your pastor know as you tread carefully. The, the worst is like you find out on Instagram, like some member is at, you know, Citizens LA. Not, not that that's happened, Jason, but um, just <laughs> let your pastor know. That's the word. You see them on, the, the, on their website. Church. <laughs> yeah, on their website. <laughs> New volunteer lead. This guy never served in my church. But anyways. Um, yeah, I, the only thing I would add to the community thing, um, if it's been a while that you're lonely, 
and you're blaming other people, uh, it, it, it could be coming from yourself. And that's a hard thing to say. Um, but talking with a counselor about this too, because uh, I asked him this specific question. Oftentimes, if you've been lonely and can't find community for an extended period of time, there's often, it's not the people's fault, but there's something inhibiting within you. Maybe your past, maybe shame, something going on. And you have to understand that walking in. So I, I just hope that's helpful to you. Um, and this is the thing. Look, if you want to leave a church, uh, just make it a wise group decision. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your pastor. Just don't make it by yourself. And that's the only thing uh, I think all of us would agree with, too. So I hope that's helpful. If you have ever, any questions about this, we get a lot of questions about this, too. Let us know. Um, as long as you don't go to any of our churches, you know we'll keep it anonymous. Uh, so let us know any questions about this, too. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed. I know it's a little bit longer episode, but uh, a little, little more lighter and hopefully a little more practical advice with uh, churches. So hope that was helpful. Thanks for listening and hope to see you in our next episode.